Good morning. If I haven't made your acquaintance, my name's Rich, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's my honor this morning to be able to open up God's Word together, and we're going to look at the book of Ephesians, which is nestled in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians. If you make it to Philippians, you've gone too far. And you can remember the order by go eat popcorn, even if you don't like popcorn. I uh, don't have many hobbies, but one of them is reading. And when you come across a good book, I mean a really good book, it's something to cherish and it's something to hold on to. A man named Leif Inger has written a masterpiece of a book, and it's entitled Peace Like a River. You haven't read it, I highly recommend it. I won't give away too much of the story, but I did want to share you in part what how the book opens. Reuben, the story is told from an adult looking back on his childhood named Reuben Land. And he writes a story about a season in his life with his father and his sister named Swede. And he says this right at the beginning of the book as he tells of the miracles that were about to happen. Let me say something about that word miracle. For too long, it's been used to characterize things or events that, though pleasant, are entirely normal. Peeping peeping chicks at Easter time, a spring generally, a clear sunrise after an overcast week, a miracle, people say, as if they've been educated from greeting cards. I'm sorry, but no. Such things are worth our notice every day, but to call them miracle evaporates the strength of the word. Real miracles bother people like strange, sudden pains unknown in medical literature. It's true. They rebut every rule all we good citizens take comfort in. Lazarus obeying obeying an order and climbing up out of the grave, now there's a miracle. You can bet it upset a lot of folks who were standing around that day. When a person dies, the earth is genuinely, generally unwilling to cough him back up. A miracle, a miracle contradicts the will of the earth. My sister Swede, who often sees to the nub, offered this. People fear miracles because they fear being changed. Though ignoring them will change you also. Swede said another thing too, and it rang in me like a bell. No miracle happens without a witness. Someone to declare, here's what I saw. Here's how it went. Make of it what you will. If he were here to begin this account, I believe Dad would say what he said to me and Swede on the worst night of our lives. We and the world, my children, will always be at war. Retreat is impossible. Arm yourselves. We we and the world, my children, we and the world, my children, will always be at war. Retreat is impossible. Arm yourselves. 
Same is true for us. We're not at war with any people. We're not at war with those. We're not called to take up arms and physically fight, but we're to arm ourselves nonetheless. We're not fighting against people. We're fighting against disappointment and disillusionment and division. This is how we arm ourselves. And this morning, the scriptures are going to direct us to arm ourselves with the miracle of hope. Hope. One hope. In the face of all others, everything, every other hope fades. It's too easy for us to arm ourselves against the dissensions of this cultural moment and hunker down or get angry or be afraid, but that's not what we're directed to do. Our call this morning as a people, as a church, is for us to take comfort in the one hope we see in Ephesians 4. As we've seen, Ephesians 4 stands as a roadmap to biblical unity and directions to maintain that biblical unity as we continue to go forward. And as we've seen, the seven things that are described in verse 4 and 5 are those things that we unify around. Look at verse 4. I'll read them off one at a time in order. Here's what we unify around. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Rourke says ours is a seven unity. It's remarkable what is not included in that list. Nothing about any political party, nothing about any government philosophy, nothing about anything liberal or conservative, just one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. You see, our temptation when we read things like that is to say, yeah, those things are important, but what about... I'm going to ask you to set that aside for the next few moments and let the priority and emphasis of the Bible speak to the ground of our unity. And today, we look at the one hope we share. The one hope we share. For us, hope is not a thing, but a person. Jesus is our one hope. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can follow along with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And here we arm ourselves with the Word of God. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to, here's our phrase, the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all, and in all. Let's pray. Lord, it's not enough. Lord, as I come to you just with the privilege and the honor of preaching this morning, it's, it's overwhelming and it's, 
sobering. And I pray for your help, Lord. I've prepared, I've prayed, I have notes, but Lord, I need your presence with me. I pray that your people here gathered and those watching at home would be encouraged and built up and walk away with, the, with their eyes on the one hope, Lord. We can all be distracted in all kinds of different ways, but may we have our eyes focused on the one hope that we see in the Scriptures. In your name we pray. Amen. Two points this morning as we look to Jesus, our hope. First, a word on the word hope. A word on the word hope. Now you and I, we all know this, we're hope-fueled creatures. This is why it's so very important for us to hope in, to invest our hope in the right place. The loss of hope is a death sentence, and misplaced hope is even worse, because misplaced hope condemns people to live a hollow and unfulfilling life. Now, the word hope, the way we typically use it in English, is not strong enough to encapsulate the idea we see here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, the one hope. Now, when I say hope, another way to, you, you can hear, I mean, this is kind of the way I hear it. The idea is hope means maybe, but probably not, right? So if I say something like this, I hope one day to travel to the Straits of Gibraltar. Now, as I say that, what do you think? Well, that's a good idea, but it's probably not going to happen, right? That's hope right there. Or if on a Friday afternoon, one of your coworkers says, what are you going to do tomorrow on Saturday? And you reply, I've got grocery shopping to do. I've got to get the kids to their games. And I hope to do some yard work. Which one of those is least likely to happen? The yard work, right? Unless you have three teenage boys. Boom. Anyway, that's another sermon. If you have, you hope to do yard work, meaning you're not going to get it done, right? Hope means something like probably, or maybe, but probably not when we use it. But that's not the way we see in Scripture. Hope is something much more firm and, and, and concrete. It has to be. Think of these passages. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Do we, are we meant to think, may the God of probably, but prob maybe, but probably not, fill us with all joy and hope and believing? No. May the, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Hope needs to be a stronger word than just maybe, but probably not. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Is maybe, but probably not sufficient? No. No. Hope is a much stronger word. It's a concrete reality. So whatever Paul's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 4, and we said it's Jesus, but we've seen it's the one hope. A, not just a concept, but a person that you can build your life on without any reserve. So how do we fortify our understanding of hope? I think we need to make sure we see the one hope as primary and important. 
So that means you cannot choose your own hopes. You're not up for it. Neither am I. We're horrifically bad at choosing our own hopes. We're apt to hope in things like money. It passes. Or can't buy what you really want. Health, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Friends, which are meaningful. Maybe even say they'll be committed to you forever, but life happens. Maybe even a spouse sitting next to you this morning and you think there is no way that we will be separated. Maybe not by your will, but one day death will do you part. See, our temptation is to hope in those kinds of things. And when we build our lives on those things, which are good things, we need to recognize they are not eternal things. Now, here's what we need to understand. We are made. God has made us each with, with eternity stamped on our hearts. Meaning this, we are built to want something beyond today. We are built to want something that lasts forever. And if I ask my marriage to last forever, I will be disappointed. If I ask my political candidate to win and bring change that comes forever, I will be disappointed. I cannot pick my own hopes, and neither can you. We have to have, we have to embrace the hope that we've been given. We have to embrace that hope. We have to embrace, embrace Jesus. Because the hopes that we choose will disappoint and fall apart. You and I are made to live forever. And we cannot rely on hopes that are here today and gone tomorrow. They can't hold our weight. We need something. Rather, we need someone to be able to hold our weight. That's a word on hope. Now we're going to talk about the remaining time we have left, our one hope. Now recognize, this is not many hopes. He doesn't say hopes, plural. In fact, he even uses a definite article, the, the one hope, and here is his assumption. Here we are as believers gathered together as a church, and one thing we all hold in common is Jesus, our Savior, but also the one hope. Not the many hopes, but the one hope. We all must have this one hope functioning for us. What is our one hope? Who is our one hope? Now, as you know, this is kind of like Sunday school. When you ask a question of the kids, they always just answer, Jesus, right? I don't want it just to be an answer of Jesus, but we're going to think about why Jesus is our one hope. We're going to give some reason. We're going to put some meat on the bones here for us so that it's not just Jesus, but we have, we have, we have confidence that we can build our lives upon him, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. 
makes sense for us to place our hope in Jesus. It makes sense for him to be our one hope. Why? He loves you. Not with a convenient, if you're popular, I'm with you kind of love, but much more robust. An unfailing, unflagging, always there kind of love. And it's all the more striking when we recognize he really knows who we are. He knows those thoughts that go through our minds that if anybody knew them, they go, whoa, they're messed up. He knows those secret things that we've done and said, maybe even those secret beliefs in our, in, that we hide away and don't show to anyone. He knows those, and he loves us still. It's one thing for someone to tell me, I love you. It's another thing for someone to tell me, I love you, and I know that they know everything about me because there is no hiding from them, and that's who Jesus is. Jesus knows you from beginning to end, Christian. Brothers and sisters, he knows everything about you, and yet he says, I love you. That's surprising. And that's ground for our one hope. Another reason that we can put hope in Christ without reserve is that his love is more than mere lip service. It's more than words. He didn't just say, hey, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. He showed it. In the single greatest act of sacrifice the universe has ever known, Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was God, God who became man, came and died. He died a slave's death for you and for me. Now, we will, as Christians, live forever. And one thing we will never plumb the depths of is why he did that. It's never going to be something where we go, well, yeah, I've checked understanding the crucifixion and what he's done for me off my list. I'm going to move on to deeper things. That doesn't happen. It's not real. That's not a thing. His love compelled him, propelled him to die so that we might live. That's a reason. Here's another reason we can put our hope in the one, put our, build our lives on this one hope, Jesus Christ. He is alive forevermore. Now, it only makes sense to hope in someone who can't die anymore. How foolish is it to say, I got a new car. I'm investing my hopes here. It's nice when it has the new car smell, but that new car smell doesn't last very long. And it goes away. Or our health. It's wonderful when we can enjoy our health. Our health is not a ground for hope. But Jesus is. Now think about this. We can say to Jesus, I will give you all of my hopes without reserve, without holding any part of ourselves back. You know why? He can't die. Now that's a good bet. In essence, we can't lose. He is our one hope. He is our one hope. Forever. You see, we cannot afford to quibble and build our lives on secondary or tertiary hopes. Only Jesus. You build your life on secondary things, good things, 
family, health, money, happiness, education, the future of the United States, the political process. You build your lives on those things, and you're building your lives on bubbles. You see, one of the misconceptions about Christian hope is that it only kicks in when you die. False. Not true. Now, don't get me wrong. The biggest benefit that we're going to have is that we don't have to go to hell and we're going to be with Jesus forever and we won't have to taste eternal death. To be sure, death is stalking each of us. For some, death is just around the corner. For others, decades down the road. But all of us will be claimed by death. But yet, when, when death does come, we can know for sure that our sure and certain hope is not shaken. Jesus is our great protector. And if we can trust in him in death, we can trust him in life. We must trust him in life. We must invest all of our hopes on him. We can be about other activities. We can have other interests. We can enjoy other things. Yes, yes, yes. We can care about the election. We can have political opinions. But may we not ever have any other hopes outside this one hope. Jesus. Though the full complement of hell's fury pounds against your soul, Jesus, your hope, will protect you. Though the weight of lifelong disappointment saps your bones, Jesus, your one hope, will protect you. Though Father Time pillages your body, Jesus, your one hope, can and will protect you. Though old sins hound you like a bad dream, Jesus, your one hope, will protect you. Though you are haunted by the days gone by, Jesus, your one hope, will protect you. Jesus is our one hope. We must fight to remember that. This is not something that CNN or Fox News say. It's something we must know. He loves you. You can put your hope in him without reserve. Without reserve. Think about the love. That, think about... Think about when he thinks you when he when he thinks of you he smiles. And he's thinking about you all the time. So he's smiling and he's praying for you. If you were to walk if you were to see him physically, I mean we can talk to him now, but if you were to see him physically, he'd say, "I'm so glad you came. It's so great to see you." That's our Lord. That's our Jesus. There's no one like him. He is a robust ground for our hope. Hope today, tomorrow, and forever in Jesus and Jesus alone. He is our ground and he is our reason for hope today. Now, 
even though we are His, we are not yet with Him in the way that we will one day be. But we can hope in Him now. We can refuse to allow our hopes to be drawn into secondary matters. We refuse, by that I mean we refuse to build our lives around and upon things that are not lasting. Listen, those that know Jesus and hope in Jesus make the best husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and citizens Because their ground of hope is Jesus and everything else can come and go, but it doesn't shake who they are. That's who we must be. That is our hope even now. We have reason to hope now. We also have reason to hope in the future, forever. One day we will be with Jesus and we will be given new bodies. We will be who we were meant to be. We will be sinless. We will not have to fight off judgmental thoughts. We will not have to fight off temptations anymore. Can you imagine that? We won't have to fight off any bitterness or speaking things that are out of turn. We won't have to take thoughts captive. We can just let them flow, flow. We do that now, we're in big trouble. But flow, flow, then. Our bodies will be what we were created to be. They were created to be. There'll be no wheelchairs. No cancer, no graveyards, no saying goodbye, no crying, no pain, and we will all hear together the Lord say, Behold, I am making all things new. The days of the power of death, they're done. That's what that means. That's reason for hope. Man, that's reason for hope. And that impact, impacts our, to, our days today. Listen, another reason for hope is that we will all, as Christians, witness. Now, this will sound strange, but if you want to read about it, go to Revelation 20. We will all witness death's death. You might not know it, but death is sick right now. Its power has been broken, and it's not looking good. Death bit off more than he could chew when he took Jesus. Jesus, though he was dead, destroyed death by coming back to life. This is why death is sick. This is why death can't hold us anymore. Because our hope, Jesus Christ, holds us, and he is stronger than the clutches of death. One day, we will see death die when Jesus picks up death and throws him in the lake. A fire, and we will cheer until that day for all these days. May we not put our hope in anything or anyone but Jesus. We in the world, Center Church, we're always going to be at war. Retreat is impossible. Arm yourselves. And the way we arm ourselves is with Jesus as our hope. Let's pray. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us all, Lord, to be able to discern and know where we are investing our lives and our hopes in things that are unworthy of you and really unworthy of us, too. Pray that you would help us to keep our minds clear and to stay unified as a body. Our hope is not in who wins the election. Our hope is not in who loses the election. Our hope is not in which political party is in power. Our hope is not which candidate can follow through with his promises. Those things are not our hope. Our hope is based on Jesus Christ. What he's done what he's doing, and what he will do, both cosmically and in all of our lives, individually and as a church. So may we not get distracted. It's easy to get distracted. May we not get distracted. But may we focus on you and refuse to hope, refuse to let the the level of our hope in anything else rival you. Jesus, we need help for this. I pray you would help us. But I also thank you that you're worthy to receive our hope, all of it. I don't have to warn anybody here to say, you know what, hold this part of yourself back. Nope. <laughs> oh, quite the opposite. Thank you. Thank you for being different than we expect and better than we deserve. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Help us to hope in you. Amen.